morning, everybody. I'm glad you're here with us at Every Nation this morning. We're going to be continuing in our marathon of a series called Establish. And today's an exciting day because we've made it into the New Testament for the first time. Uh, we cheated a little bit in this series where we did the birth of Jesus on Christmas and kind of, you know, fast forward and then went back to the Old Testament. Uh, so officially, this is our... Uh, our first foray into the New Testament. And so now Jesus is on the scene, and uh, this is exciting. Uh, where we left off last week was uh, kind of wrapping up some of the Old Testament prophets uh, that, uh, you know, happened towards the latter half of the of the Old Testament, and it's kind of in, heading into this period of exile um, for Israel. And now some, some hundreds of years have passed, and they're waiting for the, this Messiah that's been prophesied, and then the New Testament sort of is this beginning where the Messiah is on the scene. So today we're going to be looking at what Jesus' mission is. We're going to be looking at what he showed up to do and what he says he showed up to do. Now, uh, the, the, the Hebrews of the day would have been looking for a liberator, a savior, which of course we know that Jesus is, but he did really pull a fast one on them and it, it, uh, what they were expecting wasn't what they got. And this liberator was a lot different than, than everyone thought he would be. And so we kind of pick up the scene where Jesus is announcing who he is at uh, sort of the, be- the beginning of his ministry. And uh, to, to, so to start off, you know, Jesus comes as he's going to be the savior of the world. And this is what the prophecy is leading up towards. And, uh, you know, we could start with a question to you is if you were decided to go save the world tomorrow, what is the first thing that you would do? What would be your plan of action? What would be the thing that you start to enlist or things you'd start to say about yourself or plans that you'd start to execute. I have a feeling it might be a lot different than what Jesus was about to announce that he was going to do. Uh, I heard the other day that, uh, you know, Bill Gates is behind the global pandemic. Someone told me that and he's using it to take over the world. I'm not sure how they got there. I like to, you know, I like to imagine that, uh, you know, one day we'll all be bowing down to Bill Gates in some square and he's like, you know, in control of like a cyborg thing with like six legs and, you know, some dystopian future. I was like, I don't know if that's what happens. You heard it here first. But I tend to think that uh, that's the images we conjure in our mind of what global domination looks like. It looks like sinister plans and um, I don't know, villains and, uh, you know, diabolical schemes. But Jesus comes along and he does something very, very interesting. And his plan for, you know, ruling the world, so to speak, saving the world, is to just go serve the needy. Uh, He's going to go serve individual people's needs and meet their needs where they're at. Not just anybody's needs, like poor people, people that are of no status. That's his big plan. He says it in, um, it's summed up well in Matthew 28, uh, Matthew 20, verse 28, says this, the son of man, Jesus, did not come to be served. He came to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, so that's the big plan. Jesus comes on the scene and says, I didn't come here to be served. I didn't come here to execute a plan of global domination that manipulates people into some super thing that I've got going on. Um, I'm going to come and serve everybody, serve people so much that it's actually going to cost me my life as a ransom for everybody that I've come to serve. So this is Jesus' mission. It's his crazy plan that he comes and starts announcing to everybody. And his first announcement is in his hometown of Nazareth, his first public announcement. And uh, he kind of goes back to his hometown and his early days of ministry. He's already kind of becoming this bit of a, he's already causing a bit of a stir, stir with the things that he's teaching, his insights into, you know, what we now call the Old Testament. Uh, we're just blowing everybody away. There's like, who's this teacher? He's so gifted, this and that. But he does this really, uh, uh, notable thing in Luke 4, 
uh, where he kind of announces himself as the Messiah first. He says this, Jesus traveled to Nazareth where he had grown up. On the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as he always did and stood up to read. The book of Isaiah, the prophet, was given to him. He opened the book and found the place where this is written. The Lord has put his spirit in me because he has appointed me to tell the good news to the poor. He has sent me to tell the captives that they are free and to tell the blind that they can see again. God sent me to free those who have been treated unfairly and to announce the time when the Lord will show his kindness. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So they're reading from the prophet Isaiah and Jesus starts reading an Old Testament prophecy about himself in the first person. That's a pretty cool synagogue service to have found yourself at. <laughs> Is the guy that you've been reading about for your whole life stands up and says, you know, when it says, uh, you know, the uh, I have come, like, you know, in Isaiah, it's quoting somebody. And now he comes up and says it in the first person. Pretty incredible. So right away, uh, Jesus' announcement of his mission doesn't go super well. Um, he starts to say, look, you guys aren't going to believe me because uh, a prophet's not welcome in his hometown and you're just going to see the son of a carpenter. I'm just Jesus from the hometown that you, you know, you watched me grow up. And, and uh, But nevertheless, he says, I'm the Messiah. You're just not going to believe me. Of course, people are now infuriated by this. They try to throw him off a cliff like immediately. Like it just doesn't go well in his first announcement. Um, but here's what's so interesting about this is that Jesus comes and says, I'm going to, uh, he, he mentions a few people that he is going to come and meet in his mission. There's, he mentions a few kinds of people that he's headed straight towards. And it's the poor, the captive, the needy, and the mistreated. He goes straight to what is referred to later sometimes as the sick. Uh, in Luke 5, uh, to, uh, verse starting in verse 28, um, it's, uh, it's Jesus is quoted as talking about how he's ministering to the sick. It says this, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax, um, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Uh, t tax collectors, tax collectors would have been very frowned upon, uh, in the day because they were seen as stealing money from the Jews and giving it to Caesar and Rome. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we can deduce here that only the poor and captive and needy and the sinner, so to speak, can actually receive Jesus. Uh, he's saying, I'm sent straight to them. That's where I'm going. Uh, and the healthy don't need a doctor. I have not come to be with the righteous. I have come to deal with those that know they're sick. I've come to call, I've come to call sinners to repentance. This is my audience that I'm going to. Now, this is very insulting to the Pharisees who have worked very hard at being just the opposite. Uh, they're following the Old Testament law as closely as they possibly can. The whole society is built on their ability to follow those laws to a T. And they've worked very hard at not being a sinner, at not being sick, at not needing a doctor. And their salvation is found in their ability to follow the law. And so for Jesus to come along and say, you know, uh, first of all, I'm the Messiah. It's already very <laughs> insulting. Secondly, I am not actually, I've not come to be with you. I've come to be with the people who, who see their need. 
Jesus seems very comfortable with this level of confusion and insult to the Pharisees of the day. Uh, in fact, he pours, you know, he's, he's, he goes out of his way to insult those who would say that they aren't sick. He goes out of his way to um, uh, condemn those, or, or not condemn, but rather um, reprimand those who think that they aren't sick and don't need a doctor. Uh, there's a, there's, a, there's a, a long section in, in Matthew where Jesus just goes off on the Pharisees. And he says, woe to you, Pharisees and teachers of the law, over and over and over again, and just kind of calls them out on the fact that they don't think that they're sick and do and really work hard at making sure everybody else knows that they would not be one of the people that needs a doctor. Uh, I'll read a few of them to you. This is Matthew uh, 23, just a couple of verses. There's a bunch of woes, but these are kind of some of the some of the really cutting ones. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish and then clean the outside and then the outside will also be clean woe to you teachers of the law and pharisees you hypocrites you are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean in the same way on the outside you appear to people as righteous but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness so here's where the rub really comes is he saying you are sick, you are in need of a doctor, your heart is unclean, you just think you aren't. So imagine, a, imagine being a Pharisee in the day who has put a lot of effort into being clean, into painting the tomb white, to use Jesus' metaphor. And then someone comes along and calls you on it and says, uh, okay, firstly, there's something deeply wrong with your heart. Secondly, you think that there's nothing wrong, which is making me furious at you, because that's even worse. Uh, there's something about not needing the doctor. There's something about not acknowledging the sickness that is, uh, you know, he calls them hypocrites. He says, woe to you. Those are, that's strong language. Uh, woe to you. That's in a strong contrast to his relationship with sinners. And there's many stories in the Bible of him relating to the down and out and it's not woe to you. It's, it's like a, it's kindness and it's closeness and it's compassion and it's love. And, but to those who are trying to not be sick, he's very, very stern and does not mince words. So Jesus, uh, so the question we have to answer here is why is Jesus so insistent on helping those who know they are sick? What about knowing that you need a savior? What about knowing that you're a sinner? What about an awareness of the poorness of your spirit, of the, of the, uh, the brokenness, you know, uh, of the need that you have? What are, what are, what are the things the, um, uh, the, uh, that you're a captive, that you're, that, you're, that you're needy, that you're mistreated? Like what about, what about an awareness of your brokenness is so important for, to be able to meet Jesus, to be able to be close to him? Why is that such an important precursor? prerequisite, so to speak. 
Uh, well, the, the, uh, the thing I'd like to talk about today, primarily, is that the proud, which would be the Pharisees, aren't in need, or at least they think they aren't. The proud aren't in need. So the truth is, is that no matter how prideful you and I are, we're still in need. Uh, Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's just true. We're all in need of God's saving grace and his mercy. We're all in need of the saving work of Jesus to restore our souls, to, to reconcile us to God. There's nobody that can earn that. There's nobody that can, by their own merit, achieve salvation. So it would be a lie to think that we ever don't need Jesus. So we, we, our, our hearts are deceitful and they are wicked. The Bible also says our hearts are deceitful above all else, which is a very, uh, very sobering verse to dwell on. And so the fact is, is that I, I don't know about you, but I like to think that I'm not. I really resonate with the Pharisees. Now, I wouldn't go so far as to, as to say I could earn my own salvation. I think, you know, I've gone to enough Sunday school classes where it's like, okay, I know that's wrong. But it's amazing how the pride of life can still sneak in. And it's amazing how the, the, the pride of life is so quick to usurp the work of Jesus as, this, as our Savior. I don't know about you, but pride still sneaks in all the time. I would never say, oh, I'm going to go earn my salvation now by being a prideful person who's going to, you know, go clean himself up. But isn't, aren't prideful things just so helpful? Like, isn't building your life on things you can understand and things you've accomplished, they're just really helpful. And what happens when we start to build our lives on things that we've done and we start to look around and go, oh, I'm not so bad here and I'm okay there. And we start to do this. Um, it begins to fill up our heart. And we start to not have any needs, or so we think, right? Of course, of course, if we stop and think and we, and we have Jesus come along and sort of tear back, pull back the curtain of what we think we're building our life on, I'm like, wow, I need you. But the pride of life really sneaks in sometimes. So Revelation 3.17 says it well. Uh, you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and do not need anything. But you do not know that you are really miserable, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. <laughs> So we will often go, oh, I'm rich. I've become rich. I've, I, have I have wealth. I don't need anything. This wouldn't just be referring to money. This would be status and uh, having your life in control, seemingly so. Uh, anything, anything to do with wealth or, or building your life on things of this world. But you do not know that you're really miserable, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. And there, there's this massive contrast the scripture is trying to unpack for us is that it is very easy to see yourself as wealthy and okay when really uh, you're actually pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. There's a different reality going on that are, that we're, that's true of all of us that uh, we've, we're just actually we're really poor. So when Jesus comes along and he says, I'm coming to the poor, the captive, and the needy. When I read that, I go, oh, yeah, those people. <laughs> like, do, maybe you've read that, where you read the, read the New Testament, and we conjure images of the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the lepers and the people that Jesus met. And we're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You did go to those people. And do you ever say the word those or them in your mind as you read this? I do all the time. And I think, well, I'm not really those people. Like that, that's pretty extreme. Like actually poor, I'm not that poor. Actually captive, I mean, I don't know. I don't have any diseases that I'm aware of. I, 
you know, blind. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I understand things pretty well. And like you start to count yourself out of the people Jesus came to meet. And I'm like, hold on a second. I want to be one of the people that Jesus meets. I want to be, I want to, I want to have a relationship with him. And you start to unpack and he's like, oh, the needy, the captive, the blind. That's all of us. And so what then becomes the main thing that distracts us from that is thinking that we're rich. Thinking that we have somehow the pride of life, the wealth of life that, you know, is so tangible and, and, and attractive to us really becomes a blind, really blinds us to our need. That's actually true. We're all the captive, the needy, the poor, the blind, the mistreated. That's all of us. So uh, we will fill our hearts up with something because life comes and buffets us and uh, we need things to stand on. We, instinctively, we, 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 we build our life and we look for solid things to put our, you know, we look for solid things to, to build our life on, our house on. And, uh, and we will fill our hearts up with something. We will gain some semblance of contentment. We do it every day. We're desperate to be content and peaceful and happy and have semblance of control. And like we, it's kind of like what we do all day. So we go to work sometimes. It's like, do we go to work because we're trying to maintain control of our life? Like it's often, that's what it is. So here's what I've been realizing is that all of these things that are of the world, all the riches the world speaks of, all the things that Jesus is trying to get us not to put our hope in are things that we settle for that are just everything short of who he is. The things that we, the things that we would, you know, put our hope in instead of an admission of our poorness and blindness and captivity to ourselves and to our selfishness. All, you know, we settle for so much stuff that's just short of him, that's short of a relationship with him. So here's a, I'll, 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 I'll share with you something that I've been learning as like a, a test for whether my heart is prideful, which you know, often the test goes ding, 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 true, you know, lights up green. But, uh, but I've, I'm discovering a, a helpful little mental exercise that I've, I've just, and it's kind of a, a bit of a metaphor. So maybe it'll be helpful for you because it's been helpful for me over the last six months or so. And uh, here's, here's what I feel like happens. It's, this is what I'm starting to picture in my mind is the world, uh, the world pushes me and I kind of get knocked back by something. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll do something wrong. I'll hurt somebody or somebody will hurt me or just anything that kind of shakes your moorings. Something will go wrong. That's not ideal. And uh, the, what I liken it to is your world becomes out of control for a second. Like, oh, that's my fault. Ah, I can't, I can't fix this. Like, that was for sure my fault. I'm, a, I'm really terrible. Shoot. Or that person hurt me and this is out of my control and I'm in a ton of pain and things that are out of your control. Uh, the, the image that I have in my mind is that when we get pushed and things are out of control, we kind of take a step back and our, you know, when, when you get pushed, your, your, usually your right foot, if you're right footed, just kind of goes back a step, right? You, 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 you step back and your foot hits something. So for me, it's the ground right now, but you step back and go, oh, there it is. There's the ground. <laughs> I felt something solid and it stops me from falling. And, uh, what I've been realizing is that I have a whole bunch of things that my foot falls back on that aren't Jesus. <laughs> like there's so many things that my foot will, would prefer to hit that, that aren't him. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain what a few of them might be for you. Uh, I, I wrote some down. Some of my, you know, some of my favorites, maybe you can resonate with me in some of these. The one of them would be foresight. So I fall back and I go, Oh no, but I have my life figured out though. Like I, I've got a good plan and I see where my life is going. So we're good. 
You know, like, whoa, okay, I can see I have a career trajectory or something. Um, uh, what about money? It's like, oh, I have a savings account. Or, oh, yeah, I know, I know where my money's coming from and I know where my paycheck is and money's a really good one. Uh, what about career? You know, I'm good at my job. I have job security. At least, at least I got that. Uh, popularity, people like me. You know, um, people look up to me. I, I have uh, favor in, in other people's eyes, or so it seems, anyways. Uh, romance, so-and-so loves me. You know, at least so-and-so loves me <laughs> for now. <laughs> and uh, Or what about comparison? This is one of my favorites. Um, you know, if you do something wrong, you just put your foot back and go, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so or that guy. I'm not as bad as them. And here's what's, uh, here's what's so interesting about if our, if our foot goes back on anything that we've accomplished or we can understand or we can control, what begins to happen is they block our ability to find Jesus in these valleys. And what they're really doing is, is, is stopping our need. We don't like being needy. I don't like being needy. <laughs> I hate being needy. I hate needing outside help. I don't like the lack of control that like needing outside help is the definition of being out of control. Like I need another person, another more powerful person to save me from what I cannot fix. And uh, it is incredible how fast me and I would assume you at times will, will not let ourselves be needy, will not let ourselves admit that we're a captive to sin will not admit that we are poor in spirit and don't have much strength of our own. That's an uncomfortable place to rest. So instead we go, yeah, but I'm a good guy. Instead we go, yeah, but I'm pretty sure they like me. And I'm not as bad as these other people that I know and could be worse. And there's this knee-jerk reaction to not feel need. And our hearts fill up with pride. Now, in those moments, it's just a, it's a, it's a mad grab for something that get, regains control. But what it actually is, my friends, is pride in its purest form. It's saying, I can do it. I've got this. What I've done is good enough. So as pride fills our hearts, there becomes less and less room for Jesus. And Jesus comes along and goes, here's who I'm, here's who I'm ministering to. It's the, it's, the, it's the needy. And then we look around and go, I don't, am I that person? Like, a, there's a doubt, in, at least there's a doubt in my mind sometimes of like, do I qualify for that? So um, I like to quote C.S. Lewis in my sermons. Uh, it's always fun, you know, especially about pride. C.S. Lewis loves talking about pride. Here's a good one. It says, um, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Isn't that great? So let's use the comparison example or the thing that maybe uh, you fall back on and going, I'm not that bad. You know, let's say you do something wrong and uh, you look around and think to yourself, well, I never would have done that or I, I wouldn't have gone that far and I'm, I'm not as bad as that person. Here's what's, here's what's so sick about that pride is that you made a scale. <laughs> you made a scale of, of uh, some people are in need and some people aren't. You created rungs of a ladder, and maybe the ladder only has two notches. It only needs two to fall into this trap. There's you and everybody else. Now, of course, we're not that, you know, we're not that 
ignorant. So we make a giant list of all the worst people in the world ever, and we rank ourselves somewhere near the bottom. Because there's a lot of bad people in this world. And I feel like when Jesus would come along and go, did you just make, did you just make a scale? Like, did you just call, did you just base any of your salvation on comparing yourself to other people? I, that, we don't, I don't think this way in a moment, but I can't think of anything else that would be more spitting on the work of the cross. Jesus came to die for all of us, and he came to set us, he says, you're all equal, and my grace is sufficient for all sin. And then you come along and go, yeah, but I'm not like that kind of sinner. Like, I get, like, I'll take some of your grace. I'll take some of your mercy, but not so much that I feel out of control. Not so much that I'm completely surrendered to you. Uh, I'm like a, I'm like a, I'm like a B minus sinner. So, so, so I'll just take some. And there's this disposition of our hearts being so filled with pride, settling for so many of these other things that our foot falls back on. And Jesus would go, you don't need me. You don't have need. Your heart is not receptive to me. So, uh, these days, my, my, my foot <laughs> feels like it's plummeting <laughs> backwards. And sometimes that fall, it's, it feels really long. If you let, if, like a humble heart, especially an inexperienced humble heart, like I think mine is, um, uh, an inexperienced humble heart, when you step back and you refuse to put yourself on, you refuse to grab hold of anything else but Jesus, Sometimes it feels like it's falling for a long time. Sometimes it just feels like it's plummeting through midair. And in that space, you start to see how all of the things that your foot used to rest on are so nothing. You know, uh, like sentences like, I'm a good guy or I'm not that bad, start to just have this crazy distaste in your mouth because as you see them exposed for what they really are and how how much in need you are of an actual savior and how little those things can actually accomplish for uniting you with God it's like oh my goodness how did i how did i build my house on such a sandy place and your foot falls through the, falls through midair and it lands on a firm foundation and it's called Jesus and that's what i feel like the death of pride feels like is it comes crashing down on this firm foundation and our pride goes splat, just splat. And um, it's not a very fun experience. It's not, it's not all that enjoyable and it feels like death. It feels like death of our selfish nature that is so desperate to not need anyone or anything and be self-sufficient. Uh, and our main idol that will separate us from Christ will always be our sin and our selfishness and our desire to be in control. And Jesus is asking us, just just be needy. (laughs) Just don't put your foot on another foundation. Come find where I am. And it's firm. And it's solid. So here's why, here's what the issues of our self-made solutions are. I think it leads to two things. If our self-made solutions don't work, we just condemn ourselves, and we say, I have nothing going for me. To which I would say, yes, you do. Jesus died for you. This is a big deal. So we fall, we can fall into condemnation sometimes and just be really depressed when our man-made solutions don't work, which they often always fail us. 
But more commonly, they do work, seemingly so. For the Pharisees, their plan was working, working great. They were in control of the a whole theocracy. Like a, they, they had so much power. They were wealthy. They were respected. They were revered. It was working. The only thing they missed was Jesus. <laughs> Whoops. Like the only thing they missed was the, where the whole story was going. You and I are in the exact same place. Uh, your man-made solutions, like I'm not that bad or I'm going to make money or I'm a good guy, whatever it is, they will work. Mostly. And if one of them doesn't work, you'll find a new one. There's always some kind of sandy place to put your foot that will work temporarily. I promise you. And what will happen is our hearts will fill up with pride and we will become so used to solving our own problems and being in control that we will miss Jesus. And he comes along and says, I, I'm, I have come to set captives free. I have come to, to minister to the needy. I've come to restore sight to the blind. This is, a, this is a, it's an important thing to wrestle with. So when we fall back on Christ, what's so amazing about this is he resurrects us. As we die, we're resurrected by him and his power. And this is the death that we long for. Like we long for a death that is like Jesus's death, where he humbled himself for the sake of the other to the point of death on a cross. Like he was a sign of ultimate humility. So this is where we ended up. And this is our last point is that only the humble can receive God. Only the humble can be in union with God. Uh, I want to read uh, 1 Peter 5, 5 to 7 says this. In the same way you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Isn't this beautiful? So humility isn't about effort. It's about submission to authority that he already has. Um, he, uh, we get to submit humbly under the God's mighty hand that he may lift us up in due time. In his time. And then he says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So I'll tell you, you know, we describe the, Jesus as, as rock bottom sometimes. You know, you hit rock bottom. Listen to what rock bottom sounds like. Uh, we're, we're submitted to an authority that, is, that has more power than us. Uh, we become lifted up by somebody else. We get to cast all our anxiety on him because we go, all right, it's you. All right, I got no other plans but you. I've got no other plans but your salvation. I have no other place to set my foot on except what you've said is the plan. And what you've promised to do and what you've already accomplished. This is great news. So here's what we get to here's what we get to do. I'm just going to I'll bring us back to the original verse here where it says the Lord has put a spirit in me, Jesus speaking again, because he appointed me to tell the good news to the poor. He has sent me to tell the captives they are free and to tell the blind they can see again. So here's our job is we say, that's me. We say, number me with those people. I'm one of the blind. I'm one of the captives. I am one of the poor. That's me. This, is, this becomes our job and it becomes our joy and it becomes our salvation to put our hand up and say, you've come to be with me, haven't you? Sign me up.
sign me up for whatever your plan is. It's, it's, it's humbling. It's, it's hard to admit that I'm in need, but I see, I see my heart and I see that there's need and I want to be with you. And I do not want to miss you. I do not want to miss the resurrection life that you've promised. And I take myself off of the driver's seat and I submit myself in humility to your plan and your purpose and your power and your work. And it looks like putting your hand up and going, I repent. I need salvation. I will not compare myself to other people. I will not supplement my salvation with anything of this world because pride will take over so fast and I will miss you. I will miss you every day. I think this is probably one of the best stories that sums up somebody saying, that's me, I'm a sinner, is, is the thief on the cross next to Jesus. And it just struck me as I read this again. Uh, it says this, it's Luke 23. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. So thief number one goes, I thought you had power, you know? Are you really in control here? Save us if you're so powerful. Save us in this world, in this way. Take us off this cross. And I do that all the time as a thief hanging on the cross, being like, are you going to do something? Fine, never mind. I'll take care of it myself. You know, and just so totally worldly eyes. No admission of, 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 of guilt personally of thief number one. Just going, are you going to do something? I thought you were powerful. Just give me my attitude towards Jesus sometimes. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Thief number two says, I am hanging on this cross justly, but this man is innocent. Would you please remember me? And I feel like that's our invitation this morning. Jesus came, came in his mission to this world in his first announcement to say, I'm going to come set the captives free. And thief number two on the cross says, I'm one of these captives. Now you'd think it's pretty obvious he's hanging on a cross next to Jesus, but that's not even a guarantee of an admission of guilt. Thief number one is still proud and still hanging there on, on a cross, getting what he deserved, which is you and I, and is still indignant and is still doubting and is, you know, won't trust Jesus in this moment. It's amazing how we can be fully aware of how guilty we are and still wish for a different plan. But thief number two says, no, no, I deserve this. But I, what about you? Will you save me? You're the Messiah. I fear God. Thief number one doesn't fear God. I fear you. And I submit to your ways. Remember me. I'm, I deserve, I hang here justly. We are, I am getting what I deserve. <laughs> Humility. Humility. And then Jesus says, today you'll be with me. Today you'll be with me. You've seen me. And I'm, you're who I came to meet. So, uh, as we submit to Jesus, and as we find our identity in him, we discover a, a strength and a security that the proud know nothing of. The proud have blocked it, often successfully. And so my, I encourage you this morning, as we fight through the things in this life that are out of our control and we get pushed, 
uh, I, would, I would ask you to remember what Jesus, who Jesus came to be with and who he promised himself that he would meet. And what, old, what old, the Old Testament even said Jesus was going to come do. And then Jesus quoted as the, his first announcement. You can rely on this fact. You can rely on this fact that if you count yourself among the sinners and you say and you admit every day that you're a captive who's in need of saving and you're a blind person who's in need of sight and you're a needy person who's in need of grace and salvation and kindness and love from the true source that is always available to you because Jesus is still on mission to meet you. It's what he's doing. It's what he did. It's what he's doing. It's what he's doing right now. And I, I just want to encourage you, friends, as we, hit that, as we hit that place and we find our firm foundation in Jesus, the resurrection life is so sweet. We're going to be unpacking that in weeks to come of what being resurrected with Jesus looks like and about how his power is made perfect in our weakness and our admission of our sin. So, Lord, we come before you today as, 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 as slaves to sin sometimes. And, and we give you all the credit for, for all of the salvation in our hearts. We thank you that you came to meet those who are humble. And we thank you that humility is just always one choice away. It's a soft-hearted moment away. So, Father, by your spirit right now, I pray for all those whose hearts are soft and able to receive you once again, that they would receive you this morning as a Savior who comes to whisper kindly to the poor and the blind and to minister your kindness to them and to minister your salvation to them. Would you whisper to us in this still small place, in these reverent holy moments of humility and admission of need of a Savior, thank you for how kind you are in those spaces. Thank you that you're always faithful to meet a soft heart. Just like thief number two on the cross, we, humility, like we're never, we're never too far gone. We're never too far gone. So, Father, just pray for a softness of every heart listening now. And I ask that you would give us spaces to work these things out. You'd help us be honest about our wrestles. You'd help us be honest about our sin, honest about our pride. And that you would teach us how to be a humble people that walk with their God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.